Welcome to Pookie Ponders, the podcast where I explore big questions with brilliant people. Today's question is, what are some common misunderstandings about autism? And I'm in conversation with Andrew Edwards. Hi, my name is Andrew Edwards. I'm 35 years of age. I'm from Wrexham in North East Wales. Uh, and uh, I'm a three-time published author, including a well-received 2015 memoir on my life with autism entitled I've got a stat for you, my life with autism. Uh, hitherto to that, I used to work at Manchester United Television for 11 and a half years as a broadcast statistician. Uh, um, and, and I've also been invited to the House of Parliament and Buckingham Palace. Quite, uh, quite a CV there, you, you, and, and quite and a wide also, range of stuff as well. Thing, I've also been a guest on the Today programme. Oh, wow. Tell me about that. What did you go on the Today programme to talk about? Well, about my life with autism, Pookie. I was, uh, it's, the interview is still available to listen to online five and a half years later. Uh, I was interviewed by John Humphreys. He was in his house in Ravenscourt Park in West London. I was recording it, recording the interview in, in the University in Wrexham. And there was another lady in between who was a new broadcasting house. And I was in, I was trying to find the publisher for my memoirs at the time. I'd written there was uh, previously I'd been made redundant from Manchester United Television after left half years. I think it was a good thing that happened really because it's it's it, it run its course. It was a wonderful time, but it run its course. And so I decided to write my memoirs. I got to do some popular publishers. Jessica Kingsley Publishing turned me down, amongst others. And then I uh, got in touch with some media companies to see if anyone wanted me. I want to be on just to see, just to get some publicity to see if it would work. And I got, was contacted by the Today programme. And one thing led to another, and I was a guest on it on Easter Saturday 2015. Uh, and fortunately, my future publisher, Benny and Kearney, were listening, tracked me down because I had very little online presence at the time. I wasn't on social media. I, I'm still not on social media so, in, 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 a, in a fashion. Uh, and uh, James sold MUTV, my public, was now my publisher, and the rest is history. I signed the deal uh, exactly the minute a year later. I was made redundant from Manchester Television. Oh wow, wow, that's quite a, a milestone moment. Yeah. And why did you, you know, what inspired you to to write your memoir and want to talk about it on on today and and things like that? What were you hoping to sort of achieve with that? Well, I always thought I'd I'd, I'd led an interesting life, like I was. I had a very checkered schooling. I was allegedly tied up in one school for my staff with only child who could speak in the class. And in another, another, another school, I was allegedly, and I use that term very, very loosely, uh, allegedly assaulted by uh, a member of staff who has a close family member who's a high profile television personality in their family. And uh, it was just, and also, I'd overcome, not overcome, like I man, I'd, I'd managed that in my life to achieve milestones to work at my study television. Uh, I, get, I, get, I was only supposed to be there one day, and I was there 11 and a half years. And just certain aspects, I thought I had an interesting story to tell. And I really wanted to 
like, a, like, 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 like a, to break down perceptions regarding autism, that the way that specialists diagnosed me to my mother in April 1989, and he said, go home and watch Rain Man, it is likely your son will be institutionalised. So that's how I was diagnosed at the age of four. Uh, we're always determined to prove them wrong, to prove him wrong. So I, I think we've done that. So uh, I basically, I basically went to, I basically, I thought there was an interest in life, and I thought it was a story, to, it was a story to tell. I don't think it'd have been a story to tell if I didn't have autism. So that was an advantage in one respect of writing the memoir, because autism was the selling point, even at the time. People, or some, some of my mates thought Manchester United television would have been more of a selling point because of Manchester United. I could own the biggest football club in the world. But very much autism has been the selling point with the book. And I just wanted to like break, uh, get my feelings and emotions down to hopefully make a relatable and interesting story. And have people responded to your story in the way that you hoped that they would? Do you think it's helped people understand autism a bit more? Hopefully, yes. Uh, it's been very well received to my face. And I've had good, good testimonies from some well-known personalities, uh, quite a few well-known personalities. And I'd certainly say it's sold more than statistically you would expect because statistically only 50% of books, published books, sell 200 or more copies. Mine sold 1121 or 1122, which grand scheme things, when you think of all the big sellers, it's not many, but it's, it's, it's actually a lot when you consider 50% of all published books sell 200 less copies in their lifetime, copies or units. And mm -hmm. um, I think I've done pretty well. Most of the books that have sold have been on a face-to-face -face basis rather than online because I do give non-profit speeches in, not, in North Wales and North Wales and the Northwest of England. I don't tend to travel for that, but I don't really see it as a career that or so forth like some people who are autistic charge hundreds and hundreds of pounds going in everywhere there was one who went to palmerston north in new zealand right only time i heard of palmerston north was when he went cricket lost the tour match there in new zealand day in 2013 but you just think well that's a bit much and also with the non-profit speeches i do like to have variety with them but i just wanted I, I, people i think to my face I've said the name to it, so that's, that's good. And what do you think are some of the things that people don't understand about autism? Clearly, when you were originally diagnosed, then your mother was given a very different sort of outlook on your life than how things have turned out. So could you talk to us a little bit about that, about the things that you think people don't understand and what perceptions perhaps need to change? I think, I don't think people realise that autistic people can be empathetic. Oh, speak to myself. I can't always speak for others, but certainly if I, I am, I, I'd assume others are so empathetic, perceptive, self-aware, not particularly what I would term geeky, uh, and just certainly interested in 
sports and exercise and training and health. And I think that lots of people with autism would benefit from a healthy lifestyle if they could find the correct encouragement or the correct environment. Because I've heard a statistic that, pardon the point, paraphrase my memoirs, was is uh, that I think the average age lifespan of someone who's so-called high functioning on the spectrum is uh, 16 years less than the average for the United, the average for the United Kingdom, and wow. that, that, that I think is just obviously some of these high functioning people may have additional health problems, but the thing is, 16 years blinking egg, that's that's a, that's a lot. 16 years less than the average. And I think there's a lot of people with, with disabilities, generally not just autism, who aren't encouraged to trade, who aren't encouraged to live healthy lifestyles. And like I say, being self-aware, being able to speak my feelings and emotions, being able to see out certain way, ways people behave, pick, pick, on, pick on certain behaviours and be very sensitive to the surroundings that I'm in. So that's that's a massive misunderstanding, I think, isn't it? That people assume that yeah, if you're autistic, you you don't feel somehow. There's that 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 real misunderstanding, and I think that this um, what you're kind of touching on here as well about perhaps people having low aspirations, whether that's in regards of health and fitness or maybe what you might be able to achieve is potentially an issue as well. Do you think? I don't have no aspiration. I don't think I don't think generally say well you're going to be prime minister or there has been someone autistic who has been prime minister Gordon Brown but the interesting part of like say about high aspirations one of the best footballers of all time is autistic Lionel Messi Robbie Williams uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins Marshall Mathers III Eminem's autistic and when I was growing up you never tended to have it mentioned that people people with autism could achieve. So you didn't have anyone you could particularly relate to, although it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to accomplish what those people have accomplished in their field. But it's just, it's, it's, it's a very much a smorgasbord, pukki. It's very much, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's called the spectrum condition for a reason. I think what you've got to really have in life is achievable goals. Like even during the lockdown, which Wales is about to go into lockdown in about 55 minutes again, and you've got to have achievable goals in life. You've got to set achievable targets. Excuse me, and you've got, you've got to have achievable goals. You can't just say, and if you have achievable goals from your beginning point, then your middle and end point would be would be more goals that you would be able to think that were achieved at the beginning so it's about evolution really. And how do you think that uh, we can support you know if I were a, a teacher or a parent of an autistic child um, and we wanted to help them to, to kind of set and achieve um, you know achievable goals as you say what, what can help with that what's helped you in the past? People speaking in a nice manner people a calm person Someone who's very calm, someone who's very clear, someone who's potentially a little bit concise in their instructions, but no ambiguity. I don't like ambiguity, to be honest. I can't hack that. Someone who's very clear in the communication and someone with no ambiguity, which 
I think those are big points of reference for me. Yeah. And are there things that make things particularly difficult? Are there things that people get wrong often that you think we should avoid? Sometimes, just being honest, I didn't know that much about my condition until after I wrote the book. Obviously, I knew the core traits and I knew he was autistic. He was always going to be autistic. But I've learned quite a bit of peripheral traits since I wrote the book. Like, uh, even I dated a girl, and she told me something very interesting that very, this is very, very peripheral. That I probably got the toilet last minute because of my autism and my aim is quite bad in the toilet because of my autism. I never had an idea until then. And little things with, well, it really matters. Uh, a little bit more perception. I'm getting driving lessons, I've been getting driving lessons. And sometimes my perceptions are off when I'm driving in the lessons. And just, what, what's, what's the other lesson I've been learning recently? Is uh, perception. Sensory issues, yeah, I knew about sensory issues in, in a fashion, but sort of like uh, clumsiness as well. Very occasionally I can be clumsy. And just that little things like processing information was always one. I never always realised that not processing information was part of my autism. I certainly do now. I'm being overloaded in such matters. So it sounds like you actually learned a lot about yourself whilst writing the memoir. It sounds like quite a journey. Uh, I think I knew that I experienced these traits and like these personality traits, but I couldn't put my finger on what was the autism and what wasn't. And that's always a very interesting point. When people say nature or nurture with someone, it's the same with my autism. What part is me as a person? What part is the autism? Like, like I didn't, like I, I, not, I just think that autism is a genetic condition. Well, I think I think it's pretty much, pretty much to be safely to be assumed that autism is a genetic condition. So, but I didn't realise what family member it was. But just before I was writing my memoirs, I realised which family member it was. So, it was a family member I didn't bother with. And it's something that's obviously become a really important kind of part of your life. You've written the book and you go and you speak to people about it. Um, is it, you know, is it one of the most important things about you, do you think? Or are there other things that you think? More important matters than my autism, to be honest, Pookie. I'm not consumed by it. My family won't allow it. To be honest, we've talked enough about autism now, let's change the subject. I say certain matters, like what I find are more important with me, like cricket, training, music, comedy, gigs. I know obviously gigs are not permissible at the moment with the pandemic, but socialising with my mates, although I don't drink because of the medication I'm on with my autism. But I like to, oh, that's another thing I like to break down, that autistic people can be very, very, very sociable and have mates that aren't actually on the spectrum. That's something I like to break down. You can have mates of all kinds, all kinds of walks of life, personalities, where people who are autistic 
stereotypically or typically, I don't know which, tend to have people that are autistic themselves or no, no mates at all. It's very much not like that with me. I've had mates who've been well-known television presenters. I've had mates, well, mate as a former professional footballer. I've had all kinds of mates, a mate who's a solicitor, uh, and all kinds, I could list them all, but that'd be just very boring. But like I say with the autism, it's not the most important part of me. It's an explanation for certain events and occurrences that happen in my life. But no, it's not every part of me. Like some people with autism, it consumes them. Because that's all they talk about day in, day out. And so, ooh, and you got more than that. And I just think I like to have a variety of interests. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that having that understanding of autism and understanding of self maybe means that you're more able to uh, engage with all those other interests. Because exactly, yes, exactly. That's a very, 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 very well put, Pookie. Because I'm not particularly one for the science of autism because I'm not qualified to go down that route. But I've, I've, my, me and my family have always been very much into the practicalities of such matters. This is an issue. How are we going to manage it sort, sort of sort of matter? And that's what we're into. We're not into practicalities, we're not into the science of it because we're not qualified to assess science, the science of autonomous. Well I know of at least one speaker who charges quite a lot. He's quite low, he's from not that least about twenty-five minutes from Wrexham. He's they they charge top dollars just going about the science and I'm like oh, mm, I don't know not, not one of our sides because you're qualified to do it mate so. and it it sounds like you yeah you that that you're all about overcoming stuff and actually managing, not saying managing managing yeah because very seldom in life you never overcome anything okay. you don't manage it if you success if you're lucky not if you're fortunate. And if you're successful, but you never overcome a matter, you never overcome, you learn to manage, manage. And it sounds like you've got quite a good support network in terms of uh, friends and and, and family um, when faced with, you know, obstacles or or challenges. How, what does that kind of look like? Could you maybe talk us through a time when there was something that you you wanted to do or that was, you know, more challenging um, and you've had to, to manage that and you've had some help with it? Well, when I was made redundant from Manchester United Television, my sister, who lives next door to me and, my, me and our mother, uh, decided to become my carer because all the support from the NHS had been cut. So I'd have been left with nothing, doing away at home all day, doing nothing. And so she said, I'm not going to let that happen to Andrew. I'm going to take him places, drive him here till a certain time, go places with him, carry on his to carry on his gym training uh, and we're going to write that book Andrew we're going to write that book and I'm going to, I'm going to get help you get the feelings out with that but my mum was very good she kept the papers for meetings and so forth and also I wrote two other books Pookie I wrote one at a local football and cricket club in, in Exxon and I wrote another one uh, called A Vision of Exercise about men, about which which featured contributions from many different aspects of sport and exercise, including from elite level elite level athletes, current and former, 
to just regular people who, 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 who find training as a release for their mental health or health generally. So That sounds really interesting. What inspired you to write that? Well, exercise has always been helped to me, but what I didn't realise was exercise actually had been helped to me at that point until I changed code, changed changed gyms to a gym called the Moor HSP in, 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 in Queen's Ferry. So I, I realised I didn't enjoy training at that point. When I sat at the book, I realised I didn't enjoy training, but by the end of it, I realised I enjoyed it because I changed coach, changed trainers, book coaches. It was a co more qualified the one I went to in, in Queen's Ferry. I realised they, they, they enabled me to enjoy it, and I've still got that gym now. Got a different coach because the other one moved careers, but it's very much number one saved me in the summer of 2017. My mental health was playing quite bad. It wasn't probably looking back, it wasn't the worst episode of mental health issues in my life, but it wasn't good either way. So the gym helped. The gym helped me enormously. It gave me a reason to get up every morning, and it does. Obviously, it's going to be closer two weeks, but but it's also given me the tools to train at home. And that's another thing. My sister was very good during the lock, first lockdown, but she actually turned her garage into a gym, into a very, very good gym. So we could train at home before we went back to the gym. And my coach, Hibbo, who replaced Garage, who was a, who was a lovely lad, good coach, fantastic coach, but Hebel was a fantastic coach too, he programmed all my sessions on an app, so I take down all the all the repetitions, take down the the weight. So unfortunately, we had a lot of weight weight at home, so at home that Melanie had, so so I could continue training. So training means a lot to me. Strength and conditioning and running. So I play cricket. So, so yeah, so sport and, and, and exercise then has been really important for you and, and, and for your mental health. Why do you think it's helpful? What, what about it? Is it a, a release or is it a, a, that, that kind of routine or connecting with people? Do you, do you able to put your finger on it? I tend to say with just me and my coach because I've, over time, met up my mates in different environments. Like recently I met up with a group in the cricket, a church cricket club. But in the past, I met, I met a lot of my mates at Kevin Drews, met a lot of my mates at Manchester United Television. But, the, but it's very much a release to training, mentally and physically. And it helps me compartmentalise the whole of my life, Pookie. It's like gym, afternoon, etc., etc. Et it helps you compartmentalise the rest of my life. Like I'm looking at starting a new job, paid position in the new year. Uh, so when I volunteered at for many years, uh, from more heritage trust and just use this as an example if I'm at the gym in the morning they, they've always said you go to the gym first they come to us so it'll be that, that so it's compartmentalised from different clothes to different situations different different clothes to different situations different mindset for different situations and it's helped me enable me to get different mindsets and different, different just different setups in whatever I do and you said that the um, the gym helped you when you had that difficult patch with your mental health as well. Is that something that you're happy to talk a little bit more about? Yes, because I had a few episodes of mental health in my life. Mental, mental health in my life. I had a couple when I was at Manchester United Television. I did, looking back now, I probably had one after 
when I was allegedly beaten, allegedly assaulted by a member of staff when I was 11 at a school that I went to. That was probably, looking back now, that was bad mental health. But that was probably more PTSD, as they call it. But when you're 11, 12, you, don't, you just know you're happy. You don't really know about mental health. And then I had a bad mental health spell. I had panic attacks in the years leading up to it at Manchester United Television. But I had a really bad mental health spell at Manchester United Television around about 2011, 2012, through some of those? Uh, partly in 2012-2014, but it wouldn't have probably that much in that either because the environment I was, I was in training in wasn't very good. Okay. wasn't very good at all, looking back. When in 2017, I changed the environment to a much more community-based environment with a non-profit gym that encompassed even elite-level athletes the area to people who just take their training seriously and a very nice nice bunch as well as as well as uh just coaches were very very qualified there and uh, there's a better environment I, I, but i do think for everyone they've got to find their own environment their own correct environment for them and, and, and it could take years it took me probably about 13 years to find the correct environment Wow. And and what about it is it that's right for you now? Because you sound so happy when you talk about it now. It sounds like it's such a positive force in your life. Yes, yes it is. And not only is it positive in my life, it's positive in my sister's life, Melody. She's very positive for her. But we don't always train together apart from on a Wednesday in the gym. But the next couple of weeks, the next couple of weeks, I'll be training at her gym after she's finished next door, and that, and then we'll go separate runs. But usually a week to week outside of lockdowns, even circuit breakers, whatever, we train together on Wednesday. She usually trains after me on a Monday or a Tuesday, and she trains on her own in, on her own in her own gym now with programs set up by a, a centre conditioning coach, Chris Ever. So. It's a it's a big force, a positive in our family generally. So well. that's really good to hear. And it sounds like your sister is a really important person and influence in your life as well. And so is my mum. She's in the next room now, so I'm sure I'm, I'm sure she'll want to be praised. So <laughs> mum's very much mum had to fight. Every, I don't know how mum had the emotional strength when I was growing up to fight everything, fight everything with that when I was like you beaten, beaten up. It was like all these people against her, all these professionals against her, against this lady who was probably thought she was a nuisance, just protecting her autistic son. It was, it was immensely difficult for me when, when I was growing up. And then after that, I had meltdowns. I was really affected by it. And she was a power strength. She, she's one of the most emotionally strong people I've ever come across. <clears throat> 
and she had a very bad accident six and a half years ago, just after I left Manchester United Television. And people who aren't as emotionally strong as her would never have come back from but she she does everything in her power just to live a life that's quite good for her age. She's 78 years in February, February 2nd. But she's one of the most emotionally strong people I've ever come across. Probably the most emotionally strong person I've ever come across. Because without her, when I was growing up, I don't know what would have become of me. And I don't know what would have become of me more in recent years than Melanie. But with mum certainly, when I was growing up, Melanie would not have been able to help with that because mum put all the foundations in place to enable me to have mates, to enable me to have the job I had and the future job probably to have. But like I said, there's one thing I really, if I could, one thing in the future I would like to, well, two things, two items I'd like to do in the future. One is to pass my practical driving test and one is to have a long-term relationship with a girl. So, yeah. Those both good. sound like really good and they they sound achievable aims, hard work. Oh, but aims. I think the driving's more achievable than that, but it's going to take time. The actual dating, I've, I could tell you some stories, Pookie, about some of the some of the situations that I've come across on online dating. Oh, some ten, some situations you never thought human humankind would actually stoop so low. It's I've really? met some nice people, but there's some some people, some really odd odd people as well. It's just I've been stood up four times. Been right. Went took two trains to get to Liverpool and the girl stood me up despite reading all my messages when I was given an update to where I was. Another one with the same name spelt differently stood me up in Wrexham because she was from Wrexham so it didn't matter so much, irritating though it was. And another girl stood me up twice. Another girl with the same name but spelt differently again to the other two girls. She She's lied about her age by 10 years. Fortunately, I found this out a day before we went on a date. So, dodged that. And another girl I went on two dates with, had my first kiss with her. She was very much, she broke up with me. Then she got her best mate involved, who she worked with, saying, oh, the so-and-so's not very, not, very, not, not very good today. She's devastated. Well, and then she was then she was going to then she was going to then she went and touched me on the on WhatsApp and text. I blocked her on that. Then I see she was back on the dating site. Fair enough. Then the next morning I was going to a football match <coughs> in the Welsh Premier League to watch one of my to watch one of my best mates manage. And I got this big long marriage proposal offer. Saying, can I meet up with you? I want to propose to you. I'm like, whoa. I'd screenshot it and just thought, not going to happen. I thought, whoa, just really strange character. I have had some good, good experiences. There was a lovely girl I went out with, went out with for three months. We dated for three months, but it petered out. But I learned a lot from that, and it was a very positive experience. I got nothing but positive experiences from the last part of it. But with the lockdown, not with this one, but generally the coronavirus pandemic, it's. It's not. It's probably about the worst time you could possibly think of for going on dates and starting a relationship. In well, probably even worse than World War Two, Boogie. 
<laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough time. One of my best friends is also uh, dating, using online dating at the moment. And, and he said similarly that it's, yeah, it's especially challenging. It's not uh, going to happen in this year, especially if you come from Wrexham, Pookie, you have the London, because I signed up for an autism dating website. And there it seems like people either from America or from the southeast of your neck of the woods in London. And when you're from Wrexham, there's not even many from Manchester or Liverpool, it's like... And do you specifically use, an, so is, it's an autism dating site specifically, you want to meet someone else who's autistic? Not necessarily, no, not necessarily, but I'm, I'm open to that. I've been on dates with girls who are autistic, I've met on, met on traditional dating sites. Yeah. I don't mind either way, as long as it's someone that I'm compatible with, someone I get on with someone that likes me for who I am, who I am, and I like them for who they are. It's, I'm open-minded regarding that. But I think I've got to be honest with myself. And if I go to go, they'll probably have to have some sort of, some sort of condition of some sort, either OCD, some sort of physical disability or, or, or something, something probably rather than someone who's got nothing, not, not nothing, but not got anything particularly, particularly any conditions because I think, but then it's not just autism, it's like OCD and other things, dyspraxia, so at least he's got dyspraxia. Oh, I should be on a date with a girl who's dyspraxia, a dyspraxic comedian. That wasn't too bad, but there's no spark. But, uh, but what makes you say that you feel that you would need to go out with a girl who had some condition or disability? I think I, I tried the other way. And I've actually been on dates with girls. I only started dating in October 2018. I was almost 34 then, Pookie. I was actually approached to go on out the blue, to approach to go on a high-profile dating series on television. I was filmed by them for six weeks. We were at North East Wales in the summer of 2018. And that fell through at the end because they were a bit mean to me, to put it mildly. They were just thought I wasn't autistic enough. So they wanted me to crack, basically. So, but it made me think, I didn't want to... Look, I wasn't looking for dating at that point. I was looking for trying to lift my profile. But it was very much a case of after that. And I was like, yeah, I think I could go on a date. I could go somewhere and date a girl. But I've had very mixed, mixed, to put it mildly, mixed, mixed experiences. I think certainly with online dating, ostensibly it tends to be You've got all this choice, but there's a lot of odd people as well. It's very, it's very. Oh. <laughs> but, also, but also, you've got to also lots of people that want to be in open relationships, like Brad Pitt's new girlfriend. <laughs> but basically, it's 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 jungle out there. It's like it's, it's not what you want in life because I find that people are unwilling to give people a chance, in, like there would be day-to-day -day life, or like talking we are now, although this is very much a working 
working conversation, but you're willing to give people that opportunity to speak and express themselves where online dating people, you could be talking to people very cordially, very friendly, one minute, but next minute, next second, literally, they blocked you for no part of reason. And it's like, I know it's something within them, but it's like, well, what do I do? Do I smell? Do I put a deodorant today? But it's like, it's like, it's hard. Well, ideally with me, I would, I was late to it. I was 33, but I certainly think outside of COVID, it would be more beneficial to meet someone in an organisation, meet someone at a club, sports club, or a shared interest club, yeah. or work. But they don't, that doesn't tend to happen anymore because with shared interest clubs, with someone like myself, like we've discussed the way I express myself, people with autism who might be more high functioning don't tend to navigate to those places where people with learning difficulties tend to, which is no disrespect to those particular people. But it's like, obviously, obviously there's people out there who are autistic. I, I, I'm open-minded about, but I do think realistically that someone with some form of autism, I don't think there's that many, Oh, this, it's very, 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 very quiet that dating site that's for autism. Mm. It's it's very, 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 very quiet. It's it's not going to happen on there, mm. but and it's not going to happen because of COVID for the probably until next summer at the very earliest, very, very earliest. But probably realistically, if I was honest, there are more girls who are probably either slightly higher up on this on the spectrum are certainly got certain traits of OCD autism dyspraxia yeah but are still very intelligent very articulate have a smorgasbord of interests but and could relate to people there are people like that exist the last girl I dated for three months was proof of that she had obsessive compulsive disorder. And we had a lot of shared interest, especially the Simpsons and so forth. So it's, it, girls like that do exist. And they probably do exist on traditional dating sites, but they won't probably exist on disability or autistic dating sites, what would say. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, I suppose it's a, it's it's about finding that you only need to find one right person. I, guess. I know I, I, that that's a very positive way to look, Pookie. That's very positive. But the thing is, the thing is with with the dating sites, there's a lot of having to siphon stuff out beforehand. And what I found before was, I spent most of my life on there. Yeah. Oh, someone getting back into me. Someone getting back to me. And that's one thing with the lockdown of the coronavirus pandemic I've actually enjoyed, where it's not really a case of looking at my phone all the time, yeah, be in contact with people, be it email, be it WhatsApp, be it text, but it can be very intense, those dating sites, and that's, I want, ideally, I want to avoid them, but I'm running a little low on ideas. <laughs> well, you you said that you're um maybe looking at um getting a a, a new or different job at, at some point. 
Um, uh, yes, this has been a long time coming, Pookie. It's okay. very much they're very, 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 very accommodating. It's because it's going to be lossy funded. To be lossy funded for the heritage cost in Maxim. Yeah. Uh, because I can't work more than sixty hours due to certain matters, but uh, in a week. But they're going to accommodate. They accommodate my gym. I went on a trial there last year. Yeah. Just to get a taste of the environment, but. Uh, it's going to be, and I've volunteered there quite for quite some time off and on. I wrote a part of the book I wrote the local football and cricket club was to do with my volunteering there. Uh, it's something that they were, they were just waiting, well, hoping for lottery funding, for millions and millions and millions of lottery funding. I don't cost millions and millions, but, uh, <laughs> but very much to like build a, a big, enormous heritage attraction yeah. in the area in Brumbow on the old steelworks. Uh, very much. And it's got, and they're open to open sometime, probably about 2023, 2024. Okay. But it's very much, it's going to be, it's, it's all tens of millions of public funding behind it, lottery and other matters. And it's been a long time coming. I haven't been in a paid position since 1990 television. But apart from the events of my memoirs, which is, but that wasn't that much. I was declared, but basically with with the job, it, I'm really looking forward to it, and it's used to be getting closer and closer and closer. Yeah. And I know it's going to be a very accommodating environment where all the necessary adjustments have been made or will be made. So and I, and I just, sorry, sorry. And, and I, everything will be. I know everything will be very calmly and clearly explained to me by my manager, Bert. Yeah, I was going to ask about what kind of accommodations help you um, in the workplace. Obviously, you um, held your your role at Manchester United for a very long time, so clearly that worked well for you, or I assume so. Yeah, I'm a different person to that now. To be honest, okay. I'm more, I'm more, I'm just able to deal with certain matters better and more mature. I always went with my support worker, who's my bro my support worker at the time, who's also my brother-in-law. But a brumbo, I'm going to be on my own. But then I don't need any help in that way because I know what's expected of me. I'm a different person. I'm more mature. And the, my sisters enabled my sisters work with me, has enabled me to deal and manage with such occurrences and I know we got with my boss at Brumble that he'll, he'll explain everything clearly, concisely and calmly in a manner that I understand and I will get the message if I've committed yeah. committed a full part or something wrong and I know it and I just know it's going to work because it's just going to it's, it's, I'm a different person at MUTV and MUTV it was very much not just me, but the people up here in there. It was, uh, it was a very relaxed environment, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. And just going kind of completely back, I, I'm interested to know a little bit more about um, your childhood, because you talked about your mum having to um, kind of 
fight a lot of battles and the emotional strength that that took and also about how that specialist right at the beginning said you know go home and watch Rain Man your son will be institutionalized and I'm just really interested to know really what was it that your mum did what was she fighting for in order to mean that that future was incorrectly predicted and obviously you've you've completed was after I was allegedly beaten up, or allegedly assaulted in the, by the member of staff in that school when I was 11, which is outside the county of Wrexham. Uh, I can say that because there's 10 counties and there's 45 minutes drive for Wrexham. Mm-hmm. But basically, but basically, she broke into the head of Wrexham Education's office afterwards, and she remembered, and the thing was, she wanted to see the head of education at the time. This is early 1998. I was going to St Christopher's then. She wanted to she wanted to get a support worker for me. And she wanted it was my brother-in-law. It was my brother-in-law, and she also wanted to get the support that I required to go go to St Christopher's school and access a special school. And basically, goes oh, so, oh he's not in today. And I was staying here. I wait. And whenever staff goes, this so and so in. Yeah. Just go ahead, go ahead. So she memorised the buttons that they pressed for the code, memorised it, went through, went to the office and said, give my son, give my son what he deserves. And yeah, yeah, I'll do it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's what she did. And basically that's what got me there. So, yeah. So you've had your mum in your corner fighting for yes, you. Yes, all the time. Yes. And why do you think that she didn't accept the you know that initial uh, sort of speculation from that specialist that you know you wouldn't achieve because she clearly thought you could and you have yes well I I don't know I, I, was, I, I think she just thought I would walk I would talk I would achieve what my siblings have achieved I'll do what they've done in a different way because we all achieve differently but basically she thought I would I would basically I, I would do I would achieve and she wasn't gonna she wasn't gonna lay down without a fight. Everything she's done, she's she's done, she's fought to the point where she gets a bit exhausted now and aged almost 70 years. Yeah. 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 And presumably it's meant that you've worked hard as well, because these are not easy things to achieve, are they? You know. I'm not particularly academically well qualified because of what happened at the at the, at the surgeon schools, but very much. I'm very knowledgeable, very, very knowledgeable, I would say. I know a little bit a lot, but I'm not academically qualified. So, because of a disrupted schooling, because by the time we got to college age, I'd had enough by then, Pookie. I wanted to work at my night television. Unfortunately, my mentor at the time there was very, very good. So, yeah. You let me go in through the back door. <laughs> <laughs> well but you said you went for a day and you left 11 and a half years later so i'm assuming yeah. that it uh, you, you you got on well there just there's just a bit of mess on the floor to pick that up after i come off to you but basically yeah i i just did what i could do i was just me uh i was very quiet at first because my mum said you don't you don't you don't talk too much in the office you don't talk but I soon realized that MUTV was a very sociable office to put it mildly very relaxed yeah very 
what um i i always like to to kind of finish with a closing thought so um you know what thought would you like to to leave people with when when where, what do you mean when when, when i leave when i die when no, I... Now, at the end of the at the end of the podcast when people are listening what thought just that prove perception wrong I can prove perception wrong and we all achieve what we want to achieve and I just don't think with all there's no one size fits all in life with anything and as guy like my old coach used to say there's more than one way to skin a cat so and I always think that's a very pertinent term but I also think that just I think that I just like to be I'm proud of the person I am. I haven't always been happy with me. Probably about seven, eight years ago, I wasn't particularly happy with me. But now I'm very comfortable with my own skin and I like myself, which if you don't like yourself, no one else is going to like you, are, you, are they? So, so. And what is there any message that you think it would be helpful to give um, if a parent found themselves, you know, in a similar situation to your mum did all those years ago, where they've just received a diagnosis and they're not sure what the future might hold? There's a fight, fight, fight for everything. Every little ounce of support that you get. So that's what you just got to fight, fight for everything. Nothing comes out of place. And I don't think the best thing to do in life is just have a sense of humour. Have quite a black sense of humour because of the British black sense of humour because at the end of the day, if you don't laugh at something many years later, you continue to moan and groan and oh, aren't I badly done to? Oh, and, and more is me. You won't achieve in life, you'll just be wallowing yourself. Because yeah, we've all done that. We always we all will do that at some certain junctures of our life. But there's a time where you've got to learn, or you've got to hopefully got to get past that and learn to manage your emotions and learn to make steps to adjust to your surroundings and adjust to what you need to do.